On this raw and heartfelt episode, we pick it up where we left off nearly one year ago. We dive deep into the black hole and learn how to come out alive. As warriors, perseverance, tenacity, mindset, and the will to fight are key components to living a warrior life. Our special guest today is retired ATF undercover agent and New York Times bestselling author Jay Dobbins. This man is a warrior who has been there and done that. Dobbins was credited for dismantling one of the most violent criminal enterprises this country has ever experienced, the Hells Angels Motorcycle Gang. Join us in this deep conversation where brutal honesty takes a forefront. This is an eye-opening conversation where you will learn that mindset, perseverance, and the sheer will to live can make a difference no matter what you're going through in your life. Stand by. I am your host, and more importantly, I am the founder of this Man of War movement, and I am absolutely stoked right now. Why, you may ask? I'm going to tell you why. I've gotten emails from China, Japan, Australia, United Kingdom, Russia, the Philippines, Argentina, Chile, Peru, Mexico, all over the world wanting to know about this conclave of warriors thing that's happening (laughs) downtown Miami December 1 and 2. Well, basically, I'm going to tell you right off the bat, if you don't know about it, you've been under a rock. We're talking about the most powerful event of the year. We've united some of the most elite warriors on one stage for the first time ever. At the James L. Knight Center, Ash Auditorium, these men are going to blow the roof off. We're talking about Q&A sessions, keynote presentations, immersive experiences, VIP party. We're talking about breakout sessions like you have never experienced before. This is an absolute life-changing experience. You will be a complete fool for missing this. And I got to tell you, this is for everyone. Anybody that wants to change their life, to gain confidence, to strengthen their mindset, to understand what self-discipline is all about, to be successful in all aspects of your life, and more importantly, truly to learn and cultivate that perseverance into your life, right? That grit, that moving forward mentality, all right? This is going to uplift you. This is going to motivate you, of course, but... Most importantly, you have my word that this is going to change your life forever. Get yourself tickets right now. Reserve them before they sell out. Just so you know, all early birds tickets have already been sold out. The week for July 4th, we're going to give you $200 off the pre-sale prices. All right. And I'm going to give you a code here. It's INDEPENDENCE. The code is INDEPENDENCE. You can put that into your uh, ticket tailor. Get yourself your tickets right now because that first row is already bye-bye. It's already gone. All right, so there's some great seats still available. We have VIP and general admission. Don't be a fool. Do not miss this event. Go grab them at conclaveofwarriors.com. And on another note here, you guys have been doing absolutely phenomenal, leaving reviews for this podcast on iTunes. You're kicking ass. I would appreciate it. I just ask you to continue this, share this podcast with other individuals that you feel will get something out of it. Tag us on Instagram, tag us on YouTube, on Facebook, on Twitter, whatever it is. And I truly appreciate that. Also, so you know, my Instagram name is at man of war with two r's we also have at man of war podcast which is the uh podcast uh page on instagram Uh, either way give us a follow there i would be i'm going to be live on instagram a lot more often i'm also going to have videos for you on this igtv thing which is awesome a couple videos every single week so you can kind of keep up with us how we are managing and how we are moving forward to this big event the conclave of warriors all right my brothers if you have not done so already do me a huge favor Go ahead and grab your free warrior manual right now at forgingawarrior.com forward slash manual. By the way, this guy that we have on today, Jay Dobbins, is an absolute 
fucking legit dude. Bottom line, all right? This guy is a heartfelt individual. He speaks from his heart. He is very powerful in his words, and he is extremely humble in his demeanor. But make no mistake about it, he is one true badass. All right, here we go. Let's get right into the show. Jay Dobbins, welcome to the Man of War podcast, my brother. It's an absolute honor to have you on again. Thanks for having me back. I, I love your message. I love what you stand for. I love your audience. And so I'm flattered to talk to you again. Thank you. Awesome, man. Listen, before we get started for our audience, this bad boy right here, he is going to be live at the Conclave of Warriors with a whole bunch of other warrior-minded men on one stage for the first time ever. So I want you to listen to his message. I want you to listen to the powerful words that this man is talking about and his life experience. He will change you. He will motivate you and inspire you. But most of all, when you walk out of there, you are going to be another person where you're going to be changed forever. Jay, can you introduce yourself for our audience? Sure. I was a federal agent for 27 years. I worked for ATF. I retired about four years ago. Um, presently, I uh, run a training uh, company that trains uh, law enforcement officers in uh, street tactics, undercover work, uh, big emphasis on the health and wellness of uh, the first responder community. Um, I do some uh, public speaking, like keynote speaking occasionally. I uh, coach high school football. And so in retirement, I'm actually as busy or busier than I was when I was still carrying a badge and a gun and, and uh, going out and chasing around on the streets every day. Now, your life has been absolutely phenomenal. I mean, you've definitely been in the face of danger many times, and you've been in positions that most of individuals out there, most individuals would never be in. And the fact that you're sitting here on this podcast talking to me, it's definitely a, a very rewarding experience. It must be for you to be on that other side because I know that you have uh, faced death. You have been in those positions where you just said, man, fuck, I don't know if I'm going to make it till tomorrow. So what I want to do here is this. I want to go into your life as far as an undercover agent i want to go deep into all right what were you know what your assignments were and then we're going to talk about your new book that you just uh released okay let's go all right so talk to me about first infiltrating the hell's angels i mean who whose idea was that well you know ultimately that uh opportunity came up after 15 years of undercover work so I had, uh, you know, I had all the tricks of the trade. I had the trade craft and the skills that put me in a position to give me a chance. Uh, for at that point, you know, the, the angels were, had been in existence for 60 years. And um, lots of law enforcement officers had taken a run at getting inside their wire and hadn't really been successful at it. Um, there was nothing really uh, about me that said I was going to be successful. I was just willing, which is um, probably the, the, the personality trait that carried throughout my career is that I was always willing. I was always willing to raise my hand and take a shot at a case when a lot of times other people weren't. Um, a lot of times uh, the nature of the game tends to make uh, the skepticism, the sometimes skeptical nature of law enforcement makes things imp appear impossible. And um, I, like I never viewed things as impossible. Now, improbable is a real word, but I didn't like impossible. And so when I was asked to lead the undercover operation, um, I looked at it as a challenge, as an opportunity, um, almost as a competition to see if I was up to the task if I was capable of it. Now, when you took this assignment on, did you do it to say, hey, you know what, I can better myself, I can strengthen my mindset, you know, through this case and, and, and being part of, of obviously a, a very deadly gang. So, I mean, how did you, I mean, how was your mindset going in? Because, I mean, I imagine, you know, you, you were 
pretty you, you had been working the field for a while but i mean shit this had to be something a little bit different well you know i was entering into a culture that i didn't really uh, necessarily understand i wasn't familiar with i wasn't necessarily comfortable with but i went back to the same principles that i'd held throughout my whole career which is you know when the alarm clock went off in the morning and when i put my feet on the floor I wanted to be excited about what I was doing. I wanted to be challenged by what I was doing. And so this, as an undercover operator, this was uh, the extremes of all that. Um, I was excited to try. I was challenged to try. Um, the numbers game in something like this, um, typical undercover work, sometimes you're dealing with uh, one, two, three, you know, a handful of suspects at once. Uh, in this case, there were times when we were dealing with hundreds of suspects at a given time. So uh, the, the risk and reward in this was a new balance that, um, that I hadn't experienced at that point. Cool. So I've worked narcotics undercover for, for a while also. And um, one of the things that going undercover and going deep into cultures and going deep into an environment where you gotta fit in i mean that's a tough thing and all of a sudden you see yourself kind of being part of them being part of that mold being part of that culture and unless you have a fucking strong mindset it's very easy to fall in the trap of being one of them and then all of a sudden being in a position where fuck it can affect my job because I don't want to fucking snitch on these guys. These guys can become brothers. These guys can trust me. I mean, th that's a, a very deep balance there. Talk to me about that. Well, you know, again, going back to when uh, the early days of my career, um, really all I ever wanted to do was stand up for people in my community who either couldn't or wouldn't stand up for themselves against violence, against predators. And th th this was really nothing different. This was the same thing. I wanted to take a stand and I I've, I I've never had tolerance or patience for bullies. Um, and these guys are huge on intimidation. They're huge on the shock factor. Um, as a kid, I was bullied and I was teased and I uh, learned to despise being the victim of that. Um, ultimately, as I matured and got in a position uh, both physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually to do something about it, I, I knew that that's what I wanted to do. So um, I was just I was basically pursuing this lifelong professional dream of taking up for people uh, on behalf of the good and innocent people in the community who just wanted to live a peaceful, safe life and do something about the predators out there who were trying to disrupt that. Amen. And you did. I mean, you went out there and, you know, talk to me about your final days coming out of that. I mean, were you affected mentally at all coming out of that culture? Or because I got to believe that there was a, a difficulty at some point of balancing your home life with, with the life of an undercover agent infiltrating a culture that was very dynamic. Well... My story, unlike a lot of the guests you have, unlike uh, many of the speakers you have at your event uh, coming up in Miami, is that my story is not a hero story. Um, I'm a common man who was placed in some uncommon situations and did the best I could. And there were many days when I failed. And um, it's uh, humiliating at times. Uh, I have regrets about it. Um, it's embarrassing that um, it's embarrassing what I did to my family and to my personal life in exchange for this investigation. Because, uh, like I said, like you, you don't you, you don't like to say things about yourself like this to open audiences, to people you don't know, to people who you know out there are gonna judge you and assess you, but. Um, I abandoned my family and betrayed my own family, betrayed my wife and my kids for this investigation. 
I put myself professionally and what I was trying to accomplish professionally in front of my family. And that's, um, man, that's embarrassing, man. That's shameful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, there's, there's a lot of power in your words because I mean, you're, you're opening up and you know, I'm, I have you on video here. I see that you're, you know, you're choking up, you're being honest, you know, about that. And, and that's very difficult to find nowadays, you know, individuals that are truly honest with themselves and that at the same time are, uh, they're fragile inside when they talk, but they also are very confident that their message is getting through and helping others. So I want to dive deep here and I want to know your mindset and the way that you felt at times where you were slipping up in life and how did you kind of come out of that? Well, you know, the very people that I uh, turned my back to. Hey, my brother, just a quick break in the action here. Listen, I know I've talked about this company before, Boston Scally Company. If you want a legit hat, I'm talking about a whole different style of hat. It's called the Boston Scally. It is such a great looking hat. And I got to tell you, before I met these guys at Boston Scally, I was looking for a different type of hat. I love caps. I love that style. But this is a major throwback, man. It has an entire culture behind it. It has a lifestyle. And for you guys that have asked me, what cap am I wearing in a lot of my videos? This is it. Boston Scally. Go check them out at bostonscally.com. All right, tell Mike that Rafa from Man of War sent you, and more importantly, pick up not only just one or two, pick up a bunch of them. Why? Because you can give them as gifts to individuals, and it's truly a classy and unique gift. bostonscally.com. The very people I betrayed and abandoned in this case uh, were the ones that stayed with me and and saved me um the people that loved me in my life uh didn't give up on me when in essence i had given up on them at points um you know i've told this story many times during the case um I, i didn't spend a lot of time at home for two years i was immersed in the in the gang culture for two years with these guys uh when i did come home it was i did the bare minimum that I had to. I mowed the grass, I paid the bills, patted the kids on the head, you know, have a cup of coffee with my wife, and then I couldn't wait to get back in the mix. And when I would get ready to leave on these rare occasions I was home, my son, who was probably eight years old at the time, would run out in the yard and he'd grab a rock out of the yard and say, Dad, don't leave yet. And he'd put a rock in my hand. Well, for two years, I'd believed in my own mind that this kid had been giving me good luck rocks and they were working. Um, I kept these rocks with me. I I had one of his good luck rocks in my pocket, in the saddlebags of my bike, in my undercover car, in my undercover house. I was passing passing them out to members of the task force, basically saying, look at all this violence that's swirling around us. And here we are. There's something about Jackie's rocks. There's some kind of blessing on these good luck rocks that's having an impact. So right before the case ended, my last trip home, the same routine, I'm getting ready to leave. My son runs out, puts a rock in my hand. And so I was a 40 plus year old father trying to comfort an eight year old boy. And I'm looking at this rock. And I said, dude, I said, I'm almost done. And when I get done with this, when this is over, I'm gonna do all those things with you that I should have been doing. We're gonna ride bikes, we're gonna play catch, we're gonna go swimming, we're gonna read books, we're gonna go to the movies. All these things that that I had ignored and pushed aside. Um, And I said, it's thanks to you and thanks to these good luck rocks you've been giving me that I'm almost done. And this little boy standing in the driveway with no shirt on, no shoes, pair of shorts, and tears start running down his Hmm. cheeks. And he said, dad, those aren't for good luck. For two years, I believed this kid had been giving me good luck rocks, right? And he's like, Dad, he said, that's for you to put in your pocket. And every time you think one of those guys is going to shoot you or stab you, put your hand in there and touch that rock. And that's like me being there to fight with you and help you. Wow. You know, it was wow. the worst day of my life um, because I realized that my job wasn't to be 
Donnie Brasco part two. My job wasn't to be some super cop UC. Um, my job was to raise good kids. And I had pushed that aside. And I had to have an eight-year-old boy teach me that lesson, which is a shameful story. Well, that's deep right there. So talk to me a little bit about why you felt, why you felt the need, the urgency, and you were compelled to write your first book. Let's talk about your first book. Yeah, I wrote uh, I wrote the book No Angel, which is a uh, memoirish uh, case study of my infiltration of the Hell's Angels. Um, it reaches a little bit before and it reaches a little bit back in the story, but basically it's an account of what that investigation was like. Now, if, if I take you, Jay, if I take you right from here as you're sitting on this podcast right now recording and I take you back through time, would you do it all over again? Um, I get asked that question all the time. You know, I was shot. I was taken hostage and shot through the chest, a through and through that went through my lung, narrowly missed my heart and exited my chest my fourth day on the job. I got hired on a Monday. And on a Thursday, I was bleeding to death in a trailer park with blood coming out of my chest like you're holding your thumb over the end of a garden hose, right? Hmm. Four days on the job. Um, You go through that, then plus, you know, uh, 27 years of of undercover work and battles and disputes and all the ups and downs in that. People say, hey, would you do it again? Um, I would absolutely do it again. Um, I would do it better. I would do it cleaner. Um, for me, I'm one of those guys who wisdom arrives right after you needed it. Um, (laughs) I would, I I would know, knowing what I know now, I would do a better job of it, but this is the message and it's the message to you and it's the message to your audience and it's the message to all the lawmen out there. If we don't do this, if we don't take a stand, if we don't make personal sacrifice, who the fuck is going to do it? Is your neighbor going to do it? Is your dentist? Is the guy that repairs your car? Is your uh, the principal at your kid's school? Is your accountant? Who is going to stand up to these guys if we don't? So yeah, I would I would do it again. I would just do it better. Great, that's awesome. So you know, let's go back even a little bit here. Your relationship with your wife, with your kids. I mean, was it to the point at times where where you maybe got lost in, in who you were or was it just more about, you know, what you wanted to divide your, you know, your work and then kind of keep shelter, you know, keep your, your your child and your wife sheltered or, you know, was it just, hey, you were just in the mix of it all and you didn't have guidance, you didn't know where to go? Well, you know, I, I, I think I've got a great, story that synopsizes that you know i'm i'm running with these guys you know 14 16 18 hours a day like straight violent drug running gun running uh murdering raping extorting assaulting gangsters all day long hours on end so when i'd come home i was having trouble transitioning out of that persona And my wife told me at one point, you can't walk in here and talk to us and treat us like we're your suspects. So in self-defense, my response was, I'm not a light switch. I can't turn this on and off. People that Mm -hmm. treat what I do as a hobby end up dead. I have to be all in. And then her response was, when you come to this house, You may not be a light switch, but you better install a damn dimmer and turn that down because we're not your suspects. We're not your enemies. Um, That story in itself is um, shows you like to be quite honest and in an unflattering way, how poorly I was handling that. No doubt. I mean, it, it, it must have been a very difficult time. What did you learn, though? I mean, what did you learn about that now when you look back about that time, that specific time frame in your life? Give me three things. I'm going to give you three things that you felt you learned the most and you were able to disseminate the message through them or, you know, implement them and integrate them into your life today as who you are. 
Sure. I think the simplest one is that love overcomes all of it. You know, my family never stopped loving me, even though I gave them a million reasons to, a million reasons to leave. They gave me a million and one second chances. Um, love um, and their love for me conquered all my faults and flaws. It overcame it. So, you know, I made uh, a million mistakes personally in my life. My family and their love for me gave me a million and one second chances. Um, that they, 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 they helped save me. Uh, another point is that uh, society, the people that view us as lawmen, um, they expect us to be perfect 100%, 100% of the time. They expect us to uh, be in life and death situations and always do the right thing, always say the right thing, always have the right action. And they forget that like we're human beings, we're not robots. Um, we, 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 that the human factor comes in and we just make mistakes as human beings. Um, and the, the third thing I learned is that um, for me, um, man, like I got, right, right. I got into a personally, I, I got into a very desperate time in my life. Um, the world I'd lived in, um, the people I'd associated with had really uh, soured me on humanity. Like I hated everybody. Um, I felt like everybody was running a game. Everybody was running a hustle. Um, everybody was looking to take advantage of you. Um, and then I had, I had crashed my personal life. I had crashed my family. I had crashed myself. Mm -hmm. um, and man, I was, I was in a really desperate point in my life where I was, right. um, ashamedly, I was, I was considering ways to take my own life. Um, and I felt like I was alone. I felt like I had no one to turn to, no one to help me. No one would understand. I was, I felt pathetic and I was embarrassed of myself. And the thing I've learned coming out of that is that's not the case. You know, I work with an organization now called Safe Call Now, which is a 24-hour hotline for first responders, for lawmen, for firemen, for EMS, who feel that same way to let them know you're not alone. There's people here that can help you. They can help you find counseling. They can listen to you. And you, you're not abandoned. You're not alone. There's people out there that care about you and want to help you uh, restore your life, restore and save your career, and most importantly, stay alive and save your own life. Good stuff, man, good stuff. So what is your mission now? I mean, what is, uh, where do you wanna be here, say, in the next five years? Well, what I do now is I take my personal story and I try to expose it uh, to people in the first responder community. Um, I think, um, th there's a bit, there's an urban legend around me. There's a myth around me. I think people think that they know me based on what they've either read in books, uh, seen on television programs, uh, seen in the movies, um, things like that. And I'm very honest about it in that it's a hoax that public view of me is, it's counterfeit. It's not true. Um, man, I've made a million mistakes, like I said. Um, I've, I've done things wrong. I've, I've, I have regrets. Um, and I discuss those. And I try to discuss those openly with the audiences I speak to, to say, man, you know what? Um, none of us are superheroes. Um, we, we, we have problems. And it's okay, like, let's fix them. Let's figure them out, let's identify them early, um, and let's do something about it. That's, that's what I do, that's the message I try to promote. Now, do you think that your message is, is specifically for first responders, or do you think that it can be applied to anyone? I think it applies to anyone, in any social setting, in any profession, because we deal with the same problems. We deal with the same issues, um, especially people who are 
uh, dynamic, that alpha dog personality, that type A personality, the, uh, the demands we put on ourselves, the expectations we have of ourselves. Um, it's a blessing at times and it's a curse at times. The blessing is that it helps you uh, become a high achiever. It helps you do amazing things. The curse is, is that in reflection, and when we look at ourselves, it's never enough. It's never good enough. Uh, we always feel like we could have or should have done more. And those people uh, like exist with regret and they, re they exist with shame in their life uh, for feeling that they weren't quite as good or did things quite as well as they should have. And man, shame is, man, that's a, that's a really, really, uh, um, a really hard emotion to handle and deal with. So your new book, Catching Hell. All right, so you, you kind of change hats a little bit. <laughs> there you go. You kind of change hats a little bit on, on Catching Hell and, and, I want to go into that book and give me an idea. Sure. The, of, my first book, No Angel, like I said, was this uh, case study memoir of my infiltration of the Hell's Angels. Catching Hell tells the story that led up to the infiltration, and then it tells the story of what took place after the infiltration. So it's a prequel and a sequel to No Angel. So it, it's something that kind of started before and then and then and then kind of after so the sandwich in the middle with no angel but this is kind of like the two ends there all right give me an idea a little bit more like you know give me a story from the book give me something juicy here well I, you know i tell uh from the beginning the events of my life that uh, uh established those character traits and those mindsets uh through the things that happened to me uh when i was young and early in my career that set the stage for the Hells Angels case, uh, one of which was the huge impact that my father had on me and the lessons that he tried to teach his son, the lessons that I try to pass on to my son um, are a big uh, reoccurring theme through that book. Um, just that warrior mindset, that, that mindset of always finding a way to get up because as we all know, Life continually knocks you down. Life continually cuts you off at the knees and leaves you uh, asking that question, uh, how do, not, not only should I get up, but how do I get up? We know we should get up. How? How do we do it? How, where, where do we find that strength to overcome and get back up? Um, that's a reoccurring theme from the beginning to the end of Catching Hell. Very cool. Very cool. And what inspired you to kind of take it up and write this book? Well, you know, anybody that's out there that's written, you have a limited amount of time and space to tell a story. Uh, when I wrote No Angel, and No Angel, you know, was uh, very well received, I felt like there was so much of that story that could help people that I simply did not have room to tell. Um, and so that's what I did in Catching Hell. I tried to pick up some of those pieces, some of those important pieces uh, that I just didn't have the time or space for in No Angel and expand on those and expand the story. Hmm. So you decided to kind of basically extend your story to, to, to kind of fill the gap. Do you feel like you've told your story between these two books? Um, I think there's still uh, a lot of information that, in essence, like from the film industry, like is on the cutting room floor. I think there's a lot of good right, events, right. but ultimately, mm -hmm. um, ultimately, yes. Ultimately, I think between these two books, um, there's a good, um, uh, th there's some good principles there. There's some good guides there. Um, but when I wrote both books, you know, I've I've read all the all the cop stories. I've read all the cop books. I've read all the soldier books, right? Um, the one thing that I wanted to do differently because of how I viewed myself, I didn't want to write a hero story. 
I don't view myself as a hero. Um, I've, I've worked alongside some heroes. I've walked alongside some. I know some, but I'm not. Um, and I didn't want to write a story and sign my name to it and try to make it into a hero story because it's not. Um, it's a tr- the, Both books, in, all, in essence, are tragedies. Your message is very powerful, and the way that you're very humble and accepting of, of your message and kind of uh, you put it out there where everyone, anyone could take so much from what you say, and it's unbelievable. But in many people's eyes, you are a hero because the fact that you went through that hell and came out and here you are delivering a message based on you know a lot of your successes, but also a lot of your failures, man, dude, that's some very powerful thing. I mean, very, very powerful. So in reality, you were there, you faced the demons, you faced the devil face on and here you are listen you're not perfect none of us are perfect but the way that you disseminate your message and what you have dedicated your life to do now i mean you you can't you can't go wrong man you've done it you've done it very very well and 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 i'm actually very very honored man to have you on the show to have you speaking in this event and more importantly though man is for people to hear your message. Well, I think that, um, and, and thank you for that. And I think there's elements in both books. There's stories in both books that have heroic uh, themes to them. Um, I think there's also some despicable themes in both books um, that I'm responsible for. Um, I've never been an excuse guy and I've never been a blame guy. Um, if there's anything that I'm not happy with in my life, um, I own it. I'm responsible for it. I take uh, accountability uh, for, for whatever is taking place in my life. So um, I, I guess my theme is, you know, I read all the, I, I've read all the books and for your audience, that's read them, that's read that, 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 that are readers out there. Typically, you know, we start a book, any, just in general, a cop book and the, the, the protagonist, the main character enters as a hero and he, encounters all these difficulties and then he leaves as a bigger hero that wasn't me um, my story was a roller coaster there were great days of achievement and there were uh, tragic bottomed out days of failures I wanted to tell all those I didn't want to just tell the good stories or the happy stories or the successful stories because ultimately I was going to put my name on this and if I was going to portray it as being accurate and true then it had to be that so what do you feel that you've learned f- from the most, your failures or your successes? My personal, uh, my personality and people like me, I've learned a lot more from the failures. I, I learn more uh, from mistakes, hopefully. Um, now, I'm one of those guys who, um, for whatever reason, sometimes I have to make the mistake a couple times, more than a couple times to figure it out like, hey, this ain't cool. This ain't, you shouldn't be doing this, Jay. Like you should have learned it before and you did it again and you did it again. And how many times do you have to go through this before you learn, stop doing this, right? I'm one of those guys who like, some people you hit them on the head with a baseball bat one time and they figure out they don't like it. I'm one of those guys, you gotta hit me 10 times in the head before I figure out I don't (laughs) like it. I do everything the hard way. Um, And so, yeah, I learn, not only learn from um, mistakes, but like a lot of us, I've learned from the uh, a lot from the people who had negative impacts on me, who I was mistreated by, as much as I have from the people who had positive impacts on me or treated me well. Um, and if nothing else, uh, from some of the people who've treated me poorly, I've just learned what not to be, the type of person that I don't want to be. And that can be just as valuable. All right, so let's bring some sunshine into this conversation. What inspires you? Oh, what inspires me? Um, uh, my family. Um, they're much better than I deserve, um, and and I'm I'm grateful for them. Um, the 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 theme that uh, the feeling, the vibe that seems to be coming back in the country where. Um, we admire um, our first responders. We admire our lawmen. 
um, seems to be on the upswing. I think there was such a big effort um, and, and a very uh, a very well orchestrated effort to demonize law enforcement. Um, and the fact that, that we appear to be coming back from that is, is hugely inspiring. You know, I know, uh, your lawmen audience out there know, 99.9% of the people that wear a badge and a gun do it for the right reasons. Uh, they, they do it uh, for selfless reasons. Any of the people I've met with, yourself included, we all could have done something different with our life and made more money yes. and had an easier yes. path through life. More money in no the bank, doubt. bigger house, better car, easier time putting your kids through school, uh, more zeros in your bank account, all those things. Absolutely. People that chose to carry a badge and a gun for a living did it for some reason other than the money. No one decided, no one ever thought they were gonna become famous or rich becoming a cop. Um, they did it for selfless, greater good reasons. And I think that that is starting to resurface. Um, and for that 0.001% people out there that aren't doing the job the right way, those of us that are in the job don't want them to be a part of the business. Um, You're right. You're right. That's the simple fact of it. Um, because such an overwhelming amount of lawmen out there are doing it the right way and they're 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 trying as hard as they can to do their job well um we don't hear about it you know we hear about uh, a mistake or a tragedy that occurs and it becomes everybody's attention and for every one of those mistakes which there are no excuses for the mistakes in our business but for every mistake that's made or every bad decisions made there's hundreds of thousands of violent events that are handled properly and safely um, that no one seems to want to talk about. Being that you've been in the pit, all right, and for us that, or should I say, for a lot of our listeners that have really never been in the pit but find themselves in a place of darkness, in a place of of confusion in a place of uncertainty of who they are and who they want to be are not the same what can you give them what advice would you give these people well I, I think um, I learned from myself the hard way is that you're not alone and I think that we have a tendency to feel uh, when we get like that, that we're alone. Um, it's 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 not the case. We 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 all go through it. Our job, the job of being a lawman, brainwashes you into into thinking and acting like choke everything down. All the trauma you see, choke it down. All the drama you see, choke it down. The hate you see, keep your mouth shut, choke it down. Um, and we're not alone in that. Um, and that's nearly impossible to do over an extended period of time. It's just is where this cumulative trauma occurs. You don't have to have um, a single traumatic event to have a post-traumatic stress injury. It can accumulate on you based on years and years of what you do and see and feel. Um, and so you're not alone. Uh, people understand it. Uh, people can relate to it. And we're just trying to be more compassionate and more human uh, about how we treat people and treat ourselves and treat our profession and look at ourselves in that, uh, man, it's hard. It's a hard job. And most people, sure is. most people in our society simply can't do it. They can't. They don't have what it takes to do it. Um, oftentimes those people that can't do it are the ones that sit on the sidelines and cast judgment. You know what? That's the cost of doing business. If you don't like it, if you don't like being scrutinized, if you don't like being criticized, find another way to make a living because violence on this job is going to find you. You don't have to look for it. That's and, right. and, That's right. and you know what? Um, personally, my perspective and what I teach 
and the way I conducted myself is that um, I was prepared for violent encounters and I was equally prepared to use an equal or greater amount of violence to contain that situation. Not escalate it, not overdo it, but when violence came to me, I was ready to use an equal or greater amount of violence to contain that situation and, and bring it to an end, whatever that might be. That's awesome. Now, over the last, say, 15, 20 years, uh, how long has it been since you've been retired? Um, I retired uh, four years ago, almost, like okay. uh, four and a half years ago, yeah. Right, so say over the last, say, you know, five years or so, when you when you retired, I mean, that's really when, unfortunately, society was taking law enforcement and really, really trashing them, really to the point where they're just forget about it. You know, the disrespect for law enforcement was across the board. And like you say, it has gotten better. Uh, it's uh, specifically in different areas throughout the uh, country a little bit better. Um, and we're hoping that it continues to trend that way, no doubt about it. But have you seen, I don't know if you're familiar with, say, younger agents that are coming up as far as their mindset and kind of getting the feel for the job. I mean, have you seen a little bit of a different mindset going into the job? Well, I mean, the, the, the rules of the game and how we do the job has changed so much in the 30 years from what I started. Sure. Right? Um, but I think change is good. I think that uh, uh, learning from our lessons and learning from our stakes, mistakes is good. Um, you know, you look at um, within the last month, two ATF undercover agents have been shot in Chicago, yeah. Uh, yeah. right? Uh, and I mean, and I'm not talking about winged, like shot in the face and shot through the chest out there, trying to do it, trying to do a job, trying to uh, make an impact in a community where every weekend in South Chicago, a cultural genocide takes place of Absolutely. Um, they're trying to do something about it. And, and my message is, is that, you know, especially these young agents, they'll shoot at you, they'll try to hurt you, they'll spit on you. Um, there's an element that doesn't want you there, but you know what? There's a bigger element of good, peaceful, uh, quality people who live in those neighborhoods, who are either tra trapped there economically, they're just, they have no intention to leave, who want you there. They want you taking those risks on their behalf. They're the silent majority. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt about it. You know, and ho we're, we're hoping here in law enforcement, uh, being in a police academy instructor and seeing the difference between you know, a young recruit, say 10, 12 years ago versus a young recruit coming in through the academy now, the mindset is, is a little bit different. And just recently, I decided to finish off my career as a field training officer. Uh, so I stepped up and uh, just recently got promoted to a field training officer. And I'll be now basically teaching full-time and uh it is something that i want to leave my legacy i want to leave my mark and help these young officers really uh achieve that mindset to survive in this job not only mentally all right but physically as well as emotionally i think you know and i think it happens everywhere i think it happens in agencies um people arrive in training assignments and they arrive in management supervision assignments too soon, too quickly. You need to build that experience and see all those different things that take place before you can train, before you can supervise, before you can manage, or at least do it well, you know? Um, and, and, and it just, it goes to life's experiences. Awesome. awesome. Love your message, Jay. All right, where can people reach you, follow you, and then also where can they go grab your book? Um, you can get either one of my books on Amazon. Just Google Catching Hell on Amazon or Google No Angel. Um, I have a website, and it's very simple. It's just www.jdobbins.com, J-A-Y-D-O-B-Y-N-S.com.
Um, there's an email on that site. You can message me. Uh, there's links to my training. There's links to my speaking. Uh, there's links to my books. And so uh, anybody that's interested, I'm not hard to find. I'm easy to find. Awesome. And for our listeners, what I'm going to do on the show notes page on the website, I'll put a link to his book directly to Amazon so you guys could uh, snatch up a copy. And also I'll put uh, the direct link to his website. So in case you or your company wants to bring him in for a speaking engagement, as long as not December 1 and 2, <laughs> uh, we listen, this guy will rock the house. He'll rock your world out there. And uh, man, it's an honor to have you on, brother. Thank you for having me back and, and for the promotion and for the discussion and uh, to all your audience that is out there uh, listening and watching, uh, just know at least from this person, from this perspective, uh, perspective, I respect and admire what you're doing. I understand the difficulty in it. And um, man, it's like, you know, when I see uh, uniformed police officers, when I see plainclothes police officers, I'm uh, immensely proud of them and proud of having uh, touched that profession and tried to make a contribution into it. Awesome, man. Solid words right there. My brother, we'll have you back soon, man, because I got to tell you, there's so much wisdom on the table that you always, you put it out there. And for those that really want to feel Jay and really get to know him, we're going to have this immersive opportunity here December 1 and 2 down in Miami at the Conclave of Warriors. This guy's an unbelievable speaker. Not only that, but he's just a humble dude, you know, across the board. He's not someone that holds his uh, hat so high that you can't talk to him and, you know, have a conversation with him. He's legit, squared away guy. Definitely a good time to meet him. All right, my brother, thank you for being on, and uh, we'll have you soon again. And, of course, we will rock the house and see you in Miami soon. Can't wait to see you in Miami, man. Love the vibe around this thing, man. It's going to be super cool. Awesome, brother. Thanks for being on again. Much love, Rafa. You too, man. Hey, my brothers, there you have it. Jay Dobbins. All right, this guy is one of the most heartfelt individuals that I have ever met. Truly a warrior in my book. And I got to tell you, if you didn't get chills from listening to this, you have no heart at all. There is so much passion and so much depth into what he says that it could truly change anyone's life around with his words. Listen, he's going to be speaking at the Conclave of Warriors, downtown Miami, December 1 and 2 at the Hyatt Regency. It's going to be at the James L. Knight Center, Ash Auditorium. Truly a life-changing event. You cannot miss it. Go get tickets right now. Reserve them right now. We're still at the pre-sale prices, and I'm giving you $200 off this week only, July 4th. Basically, you need a code. That code is INDEPENDENCE, and when you reserve your tickets, you're going to go quack literally cut 200 bucks, and it's going to be the best investment that you have ever made in your life. All right, I'm telling you straight up. You have my word. This will be a life-changing event. Conclaveofwarriors.com. Don't forget to give me a follow at Man of War with two R's on Instagram. I'm going to be on IGTV. I'm also going to be live there. Really immersive experience. I love talking to you guys and interacting with you guys. No doubt about it. All right. Until next time, your life may be challenging and full of dangers, but never retreat. Your last battle may be your greatest victory.